my old friend how is it <laughs> very good Michael how are you you are looking like uh, the Holy Father Athanasius or the life of St Anthony is coming to mind yeah Anthony that's right I'm sure that's my dad's name like Anthony or Anthony I can't remember now <clears throat> do you know when you become a Greek Orthodox guy or a Russian Orthodox I'm not sure if it's the same in the Greek thing but you have to take on a, a new name if you became a Greek, uh, Greek Orthodox pastor or Russian Orthodox pastor I was yeah. hearing that this week I actually know someone who, be, who went from an evangelical Baptist pastor to become a uh, uh, Russian Orthodox, no less, pastor. And um, yeah, well, what do you call him? Priest, not pastor. I don't know, whatever. And he took on, I forgot the name now, but it was something like the Holy Father of St. Anthony. We might as well, we might, or the, you know, someone, some, some like extremely righteous saint, so and so, you know, or some ex- mm. very fun. I would go boy. with uh, the righteous Reverend Finney. That would be, yeah. Yeah, I I think it's got to be from the early church tradition. I think that's the rule. It's got to be one of the Easter (laughs) fathers. It's got to be something like that. Um, Okay, okay. But yeah, anyway, so it's crazy. I mean, just seeing that in real life, that was, well, not seeing it, but hearing about it, someone. And um, it's just the the age old thing, you know, it's just they want the tradition, they want the liturgy, they want the, you know, and apparently went full on. (laughs) Amazing. Just totally amazing to hear that that could even happen. Anyways, all to say, we are introducing the second book of Athanasius, The Life of Antony. Um, we have looked at... Life of Antony. Yeah. So this guy is, he's the demon slayer. My brother should be on this yeah. for us. I mean, my brother should be on this and he loves... Yeah, man. This this book actually blew me away. You know, it's, it was so funny. Um, as I was reading through it, I don't know if it's going to be in part of our readings, uh-huh. but uh, the claim that Athanasius makes is that this guy has the spirit of discernment. And right. so, you know, he's, he, he's, he's basically talking to the devil every other day and chasing him off. And it's just amazing. I mean, <clears throat> most, of, most of the books basically about, you know, your onslaught with the devil. Mm-hmm. That's what it's all about. It's pretty crazy. For sure. You know what? I, okay, well, I mean, what can we say about uh, this guy to kick it off? I mean, he was, um, you know. Uh, okay, so uh, this is what I know. I'll tell you yeah, what I know. Right. I'll, I'll, I'll show off my learning. Okay. Two, I know two big words. Cool. So before Antony came along, the uh, the Aromatic monks predominated. Okay, big word coming from the Greek word eremos, mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. which we get the Latinized form of hermit. And so this was the uh, basically your individual ascetics who would go uh, live off in the in the desert. They they usually lived in a cave on their own. But Antony was sort of the the watershed, the the the, the change in history that led to Cenobitic monks mm-hmm. and cenobitic comes from the, uh, the two Greek words koinos and bio. Mm-hmm. So, living in communion. So, you've got so, a monastery uh, beginnings yeah, there. Monasteries. Yeah. yeah. 
So Anthony was the big inspiration for this. So cool. he's very big, very influential, and uh, yeah, big shadow yeah. in church history. Right, and um, we of course know Athanasius, who's writing the life of Anthony from his big battle with uh, Arian, and um, and we looked at that last time. So let's rather than um, duplicate all of that background, which we kind of did mention. Um, uh, why did he write about this guy? Do you know? Um, just because he was so inspiring. I mean, it's uh, when I was just as the way it's seated in church history, it reminded me of David Brainerd's biography. Mm. And so like Jonathan Edwards, very impressed with David Brainerd right. and missionary movement explodes mm. in the same way. Athanasius, very impressed with Anthony and the monastic movement explodes. Mm. So mm. it's, it's very significant from that point of view. Yeah. That's a good analogy, I think. And also gives us, I mean, I suppose that's the value of this. Again, not to agree with it necessarily, but to um, it does give you a window into the life of what, what people are thinking at the time. And uh, we know Athanasius. We, you know, we really respect Athanasius. My goodness, the guy, you know, helped us out with the Trinity uh, in ways that we can't understand. And, you know, and yet here we see a window into what made him tick a little bit. And um, and that's very uncomfortable. <laughs> for a protestant evangelical <laughs> reformed uh and so yeah. you know it's all good it's good to get uncomfortable like that and just to see what's going on and there's no better way to do it yeah. than just read so what that's all we're doing we're just going through snippets of early church fathers um and uh we're reading that's what we're doing we're reading and then we're going to make some awesome comments which is i know what everyone, <laughs> everyone everyone lives for the comments everyone waits for that yeah um so uh how are we going to kick it off man are you going for it all right, so let me kick it off with uh, chapter two, which gives a little bit of the biography of Antony and how it all started. Cool. So uh, chapter two, after the death of his father and mother, he was left alone with one little sister. His age was about 18 or 20, and on him the care both of home and sister rested. Now it was not six months after the death of his parents, and going according to the custom into the Lord's house, he communed with himself and reflected as he walked how the apostles left all and followed the Savior, and how they, in the Acts, sold their possessions and brought and laid them at the apostles' feet for the distribution to the needy, and what and how greater hope was laid up for them in heaven. Pondering over these things, he entered the church, and it happened, the gospel was being read. And he heard the Lord saying to the rich man, If thou wouldest be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and come follow me, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Antony, as though God had put him in mind of the saints and the and the passage had been read on his account, went out immediately from the church and gave the possessions of his forefathers to the villagers. There were 300 acres, productive and very fair, that there should be no more a clog upon himself and his sister. And all the rent that was movable he sold. And having got together much money, he gave it to the poor, reserving a little, however, for his sister's <coughs> sake. Oh, okay. There we go. All right. So this is the way it starts off. This the rich man... Yeah, hearing the very convicting words about selling everything and giving it all to the poor, mm -hmm. and he's the guy who goes and does it. You've almost got a Buddha thing going on there, you know. Um, <laughs> uh, in that, and, and you know, and just a little reading at some level of the text, except that he didn't take two yeah. swords, or did he take one sword? I don't know. We don't even know about any of that. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. so I was actually I was I was preaching on Luke uh, and uh, preaching on the calling of Levi, you know, mm -hmm. Matthew, mm -hmm. and. Uh, he said, come and follow me. And it says, and Levi left everything and followed him. And then in the very next verse, and it says, and at his house, he threw a great banquet. So he left everything, but not his house. So Very good. Yeah. Wow. 
unless yeah. he bailed out on all of that after the banquet. Oh yeah, but it says it before the banquet. So, yeah. oh, that's... and uh, the even in the book of Acts, they continue to meet in one another's homes. Right. Where where did the homes come from? Right. If they gave the homes away. Right. Yeah. So, good point. You know what? You know one of the theories is that in the book of Acts, the things, the land that was sold, or the possessions that were sold, was the the burial. So you, you like if you were a Jew and you were part of the dispersion, you bought yourself a burial plot in Jerusalem. Every Jew wanted to be buried in Jerusalem. And that was what was sold and given to the poor. Not mm. necessarily their houses, but it's possible that it was just that little bit of real estate. Hmm. That's one theory. All right. Yeah, wow. And what would that mean for us today? Uh, Sell your insurance policy. <laughs> Something like that. There you go. <laughs> there we go. All right. So I'm jumping over to chapter eight, and um, and alrighty, I'll just. Uh, so you're just gonna have to tell me which chapters you're doing. Okay, eight. Great. Yeah. Eight. Go for it. All right. And this is uh, the slightly, I think, abridged and abbreviated version. So we'll just mix it up like that. All right. Tightening his hold upon himself, Anthony departed to the tombs, which were somewhere from the village. Having asked a friend to bring him uh, bread regularly, he entered one of the tombs and remained within alone, the friend having shut him in. When the enemy could no longer endure this, but was afraid that in a short time Anthony would fill the desert with the monastic discipline, he came one night with a multitude of demons and whipped him so, se so, so severely that he lay on the ground speechless from pain. He came, oh, sorry, He claimed that the torture was so severe that no human blows could ever have hurt so much. In the providence of God, who never overlooks those that hope in him, his friend came the next day with the loaves. Having opened the door and seeing Anthony lying on the ground as though dead, he lifted him up and carried him to the village church and laid him on the ground. Many of his relatives and the villagers sat around Anthony as, uh, round, as, as round a corpse. But about midnight, he came to himself and arose. When he saw them all asleep, and only his friend keeping watch, he summoned him and asked him to carry him back to the tombs without waking anybody. There you go. So that's <laughs> so we've got demons, we got self-resurrection. You know, it's um, yeah, yeah. We've got good. that real humility. Just wants to go back without waking anyone up. Right, right, right. You know, it's um, yeah. It's it's only what so, Jesus I mean, it's, did it's on very, the It's very myth mythological in that sense. You right. know, it's very much praising the guy. You know, we we live in a day and age now where we no longer. You know, our, our Christian heroes are not heroes. We mm. like to show them warts and all. This yeah. is the very early stages of Christian biography where yeah. it's it's nothing like that you whatsoever. Just, yeah, I wondered. To, I wondered to the degree, or what to what degree, um, people would have known that. You know what I mean? That would have been in their conscience, uh, or at least consciousness. I mean, like I know, I know that. Um, you know, they would have wanted to hear these great tales, but I'm almost wondering if there's not something lost. I mean, I know we can't answer that right now. You know, you, that would take a heck of a lot of research, but it's just a question I have often in that, you know, so often you would, you think of Genesis 1, for example, and just how we could so badly misread that in light of all the things that have happened since then, um, you know, to the, to the original audience they're just not processing things like cosmogony in the same way same thing with with uh, biography as you just said you know it's just a 
Yeah. Everyone understands that you play the euro up, that you the, the mythical Greco-Roman euro. You know, you just that's the job of the storyteller. He has to lift him up, and and and, and I think everyone takes it with a pinch of salt, maybe, or I don't know, you know, what the way of understanding it was. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, it's this is also a secondhand account. It's not. It's not. It's not. He's not writing his autobiography. This is someone writing a biography on him, mm. and uh, so someone who's amazed by him sort of talks it up yeah i yep. don't know right that too yeah exactly um all right cool well i've got a few comments on the demon thing but let's let's say that until we reach the accumulative force um you know as we okay. see all of the spiritual warfare that goes goes on you um so 14 yeah. that's you 14 all right and so for nearly 20 years he continued training himself in solitude never going forth and but seldom seen by any after this when many were eager and wishful to imitate his discipline and his acquaintances came and began to cast down and wrench off the door by force, Antony, as from a shrine, came forth initiated in the mysteries and filled with the Spirit of God. Then for the first time he was seen outside the fort by those who came to see him. And they, when they saw him, wondered at the sight, for he had the same habit of body as before and was neither fat like a man without exercise nor lean from fasting and striving with the demons. But he was just the same as they had known him before his retirement. And again, his soul was free from blemish, for it was neither contracted as if by grief, nor relaxed by pleasure, nor possessed by laughter or dejection. For he was not troubled when he beheld the crowd, nor overjoyed at being saluted by so many. But he was altogether, even as being guided by reason and abiding in a natural state. Through him, the Lord healed the bodily ailments of many present and cleansed others from evil spirits. And he gave grace to Antony in speaking, so that he consoled many that were sorrowful and set those at variance at one, exhorting all to prefer the love of Christ before all that is in the world. And while he exhorted and advised them to remember the good things to come and the loving kindness of God towards us, who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, he persuaded many to embrace the solitary life. And thus it happened in the end that cells arose even in the mountains and the desert was colonized by monks who came forth from their own people and enrolled themselves for the citizenship in the heavens. Hmm. So probably, um, so good Good things that come out of that is that, you know, at the end of the day, he's pointing people to Christ. And at the end of the day, people are wanting to uh, be partakers of that in all of its fullness. Um, and then, you know, just following on from what we were saying a second ago, you've got possibly the embellishments, possibly the just uh, the way that one would sort of speak of those events in the day. And then perhaps just straight up lies, maybe. And then, just... well, it, it sounds like he, it sounds like he's being cast according to the Stoic ideal, <clears throat> right? Not happy, not sad. Yeah. Doesn't acknowledge like just that stone face. It reminds me of um, you know that Jesus, the, the Jesus film, not yes. not the right, right, the old one, the, yeah, uh, the, the, the slightly older one, the <laughs> yeah. Luke one, right? And not, the guy's not, face, not the happy, not face. the happy Jesus either. That was the one that came in between. I don't know if you saw that one. <laughs> The charismatic happy yeah, Jesus. Oh the... yeah, no, not the happy dude, okay. not the happy guy. Okay, yeah. Um, but the other one, the one before that one, the one that was translated into every language under the I kind of like that one. And... I got to be honest. Well, you know what? The, when the actor was being interviewed, this is what he said. He said he didn't know how to enact the emotion, so he just didn't. Wow. And so there's this very flat performance all the way through. Wow. 
And it's, it's, this sort of reminds me of this. <laughs> it's this disembodied sort of like, yeah, exactly. Uh, very, very Gnostic. Yeah, it's, sort it's almost of, like uh, an story. Eastern mysticism. I'm not ruffled by anything. I'm right. detached from pain. Right, right, right. Sort exactly. Of, yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, for sure. And I think that was half of the reason for the overreaction for the happy Jesus one where, you know, that was just, I mean, that was ridiculous. I don't know if you saw that, but my goodness, like, it's almost like any shred of emotion. Oh, you <laughs> little faith. <Yeah. laughs> it's the American Jesus. Yeah. We actually, we had that guy come and talk to us at our church. The, the guy who played Jesus. Isn't that weird? That guy from America. And did he, did, he, did he talk about how he was on the cross, how he was overwhelmed with all, just love for everybody and how he just wept? I'm sure. I, I, I don't know. I was just you, quite, uh, you, you know, enraptured. Yeah, no, he's, uh, in one interview, he spoke about how the, the love of Jesus for sinners just overcame him and he was just weeping. Is this the and happy he, Jesus They had guy? to stop shooting because he was just so overwrought. Really? Wow. Mm. Uh, All right. All chapter, right. Chapter 16. What's the moral of the story? Don't make Jesus movies. <laughs> you know, it just does not go well, people. All right. Um, so chapter 16, let's do it. Uh, there was one one more thing I was going to say now. Um, was it to do with, uh, or just maybe like the, there are some things that I think are just straight up theologically incorrect, like obviously, but but even you know, we should be able to just look at that and go, you know, whatever's going on here, that didn't happen. And um, and I want to come back to that, but we'll, we'll put that on us. Uh, 16. All right. One day when he had gone out, all the monks gathered together and asked him to speak to them. He addressed them in Coptic as follows. The scriptures are enough for instruction, but it is good to encourage one another in the faith. Let this especially be your common aim, neither to surrender having once begun, nor to faint in difficulty, nor to say, it is a long time that we have been living under the discipline. But let us rather increase our zeal, as though each day were a fresh start. Compared with the ages to come, our whole life, oh, sorry, compared with the ages to come, our whole life is very short, and compared with eternal life, all our time is nothing. And that's the end of my chapter 16. Okay, so uh, that uh, basically just gives us a window into it's probably my my favorite paragraph in, in the whole thing or pa- favorite chapter in that it, it's just basically him exhorting them to just basically be awesome Christians, you know, and um, and that's fine. So no worries with that. Let's jump straight into 17, though, because he is where it gets cray-cray. <laughs> All right. Wherefore, children, let us not faint or deem that the time is long or that we are doing something great. For the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed to us. Nor let us think, as we look at the world, that we have renounced any, anything of much consequence. For the whole earth is very small compared with all the heaven. Wherefore, if it even chanced that we were lords of the earth and gave it all up, it would be not worthy of comparison with the kingdom of heaven. For as if a man should despise a copper drachma to gain a hundred drachmas of gold, so if a man were lord of all the earth and were to renounce it, that which he gives up is little, and he receives a hundredfold. But if not even the whole earth is equal in value to the heavens, then he who has given up a few acres leaves, as it were, nothing. And even if he have given up a house or much gold, he ought not to boast nor be low-spirited. 
Further, we should consider that even if we do not relinquish them for virtue's sake, still afterwards, when we die, we shall leave them behind. Very often, as the preacher saith, to those to whom we do not wish, why then should we not give them up for virtue's sake, that we may inherit even a kingdom? Therefore, let the desire of possession take hold of no one. For what gain is it to acquire these things which we cannot take with us? Why not rather get those things which we can take away with us? To wit, prudence, justice. Temperance, courage, understanding, love, kindness, kindness to the poor, faith in Christ, freedom from wrath, hospitality. If we possess these, we shall find them of themselves, preparing for us a welcome there in the land of the meek-hearted. Sorry, I take right. that. I take that back. That's that's my favorite paragraph uh, or chapter. The uh, the one the one <laughs> I was actually thinking about comes next, twenty three. Um, so yeah, I like that one. Though. That that's that's. Um, I mean, if anything, the monks. I mean, you know, the at least uh, this guy and the way he brought the monastery on. If that brings anything yeah. at all to the table, it's this concept right here. You know, that that is a constant challenge yeah. to every Christian. Um, so really, I think that's that's where it all shines. Right I guess I, I, just, I, I guess I just I just question the uh, yeah I just question the necessity of the is possession wrong? Right. Okay. Is it wrong to possess things? Yeah. You know, isn't, yeah. you know, didn't God, you know, if you, you know, being a good reformed Christian, we have a belief that the eighth commandment has implicit in its command not to steal, the right to own and to possess, that God has given these gifts. We're, yeah. to, we're to own them as stewards, stewards yeah. but it doesn't deny the reality of possession. Right. So I suppose the way I process that in terms of just the takeaway is uh, less in terms of do as the monks did and more like let them be this kind of ideal uh or not ideal is a bad word but but uh just uh an example of those who have taken the the principle of just not holding on to earthly possessions to the absolute maximum which you know has overlap in that even if you do over uh, you know you you possess something you shouldn't you should loosen your grip on it you know ultimately and make sure that your your hope is not here and um you know they certainly show us that that was their heart and goal but, you know, yeah, I think what you're saying is right as well. And that, you know, obviously we're, we're questioning that literal sort of sense of... Is it required? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, right. And, uh, and that's big. So I think, uh, you know, one of the quests one often has in terms of just reading church history, you know, either, I don't know, for me personally, this is how it goes. You're either going to read and become like, you know, in your mind, the only Christian that ever was. Um, because you're literally the only guy that believes what you believe, you know? Um, and all there is just an absolute train smash after absolute train smash after absolute train smash of situation in the way that you perceive it anyway, which you can take from that. Like you have, you know, if someone else was reading your life in church history, you, you're also an absolute train smash. You know, <laughs> you're just one of those like moments of the train smash. And at the end of the day, you know, we just can't see our own blind spots. So what, do we, you know, what, what we have to do with that, I think is we have to just go, all right, here's where we can see the overlap. You know, here's where we can help each other out and uh, somehow just just see through a glass dimly together. You know, um, either that or you go mad. That's the way I process it. Yeah. Yeah. Can't go looking for perfection. That's for sure. Yeah, exactly. So with these guys, I mean, my goodness, wow. We I mean, you've got probably the height of of just extremities. But I mean, just the fact it's kind of actually reminds me of the martyrdom thing that we spoke about earlier, you know, in the previous uh, books. Uh, or the previous, um, you know, works that we looked at, uh, you know, you've got all the crazy embellishments, you got the crazy everything, but the one thing you got to take away from all of that 
is that you know these guys were just willing to die willing to die for Christ. They loved not their lives unto death. Yes. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and I mean how today it's really is it the end of the world to be hit with a message that says don't love your possessions, give them up. You know what I mean? It's it it seems like to even worry about what that's going to do to us is like worrying on the, about the other side of the ditch on on the other side of the mountain, you know? And uh and and we're not even there. So it it can hit us as hard as it can and and it'll only do us a good thing. Um, all right. Now, here's where uh, I changed my tune on that a little bit. So 23. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Getting into the spiritual warfare stuff now. Yeah. yeah. Here's where the, I, the chapter before this is pretty fine. Yeah. It's, it's just a good theology on demons, but then, yeah. yeah. All right. Cool. So let's go. Um, I'll just say also, if, if anyone's listening, Nick's, uh, okay. Nick's video is uh, a little bit shut and it's making all these funny sounds. We'll make it through, man. What the, Can you hear me now? <laughs> what the ears need to know is that this is not. Can spirit. you hear me now? That's <laughs> not even funny because it's like it's like there's some there's some tech add-on to what you're doing. It's 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 creating like a double a double inverse negative effect, destructive interference. What what I want you to know though is that this is not demonic interference. <laughs> Good clarification. <laughs> okay. All right, here we go. Twenty-three. Um if the demons see any Christians, especially monks, uh working cheerfully and advancing, they first attack by tempting us and placing obstacles in our way. In other words, evil thoughts. But we need not fear their suggestions, for by prayer, fasting, and faith in the Lord. Uh, their attack immediately fails. Even then, they do not stop, but attack again with wicked subtlety. For when they cannot deceive the heart openly with foul, foul pleasures, they approach in a different disguise and try to strike fear by changing their shape, taking the form of women, wild beasts, creeping things, gigantic bodies, and troops of soldiers. Even then... You need not fear their deceitful displays, for they are nothing, and quickly disappear, especially if you fortify yourself with faith in the sign of the cross. Yet they are bold and very shameless, for when thus worsted, they attack in a different way, pretending to prophesy and foretell the future, appearing to be as high as the roof and very wide. Uh, thus endeth chapter 23. <laughs> and dude, uh, the, there are parts of the book where he, he elaborates on his experiences of women coming to him and troops of soldiers. And oh man, we've already so, seen the one where uh, demons whipped him like no human hand can do. So so funny. I was um, I was talking uh, a second ago, reading. I don't know if you heard it on your side, but I'm like, I'm saying, uh, you know, and then they when they cannot deceive the heart. Um, they're approaching different disguise, try and strike fear. And then my voice went, try and strike fear <laughs> as I was reading. <laughs> so I'm like, uh, it's a good thing I put that caveat out about um, about this not being demonic interference. <laughs> Man. Anyway. So, okay. Here's the thing. I really like the first part. I think that's true. Uh, you know, maybe in that I don't know exactly what, what demons can do in terms of putting thoughts into your mind. I mean, I'm still a little bit unclear on that. Um, 
you know, in that I'm not entirely sure they have access to your brain. And, and you know what I mean? Um, there is, a, I think it's more a matter of, of uh, the Satan and the world system. And certainly he has his angels and messengers and whatnot that, that really contrive uh, uh, the, the world system to, to lean in its favor. So I think what's going to put temptations in your mind is the advert you saw on TV which is, you know, part of this global thing that Satan is doing to make things move in his in his way, or it's going to be that thought that's put in your 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 mind by a philosophy professor as a result of that worldly thing that's going on, or it's going to be, you know, whatever it is. It's not going to be some some spooky sort of poltergeist thing in your mind. It's going to be like a real concrete thing that you should just really stay away from at the yeah. end of the day if you can. Um, and so I think that's important. And then, of course, when you when you get to the next part, um, you know, with the changing of shape, taking them, I think that's plain old false. I don't think that... Look, here's what I think. I think that could have happened at some level during the ministry of Christ. Um, but after that, I'm a cessationist. So, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we know that Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, yeah. and it does seem to be like they're trying to make him look like someone who followed Christ and yeah. suffered like Christ and was tempted like Christ. Yeah, there's not an attempt. Is there's no attempt at deification here. Mm. There is a, a much a very close association with Christ's own experience, which, yeah, it's probably a little bit poetic license going on there. And look, it's just one of those things when it comes to testimonies. Sola Scriptura, you know, yeah. I, I don't believe this stuff because someone says says they saw something. Um, right, right. And so I think one of the things for me is just that, you know, where this, where before we've been kind of lighthearted about it and gone, you know, well, obviously, because I think it's kind of obvious. No one, no one goes along with those crazy stories we've read prior. But, you know, with this, it, it's just uh, whether it be the charismatic movement, whether it be just superstition and Roman Catholicism that has continued in this vein. Uh, for some reason, whether it be the horror genre, you know, in Hollywood, I don't know, whatever it is, people have somehow just kept a special place for this stuff and have got, have lost yeah. their minds. And I find pastorally, it's a big thing for me. Um, I end up having to really coach people out of some, some unbiblical anxiety that they're experiencing in the name of Christianity or, or some charismatic idea. And um, it yeah. usually involves demons and, um, you know, to be, I mean, look, I, I, I'll admit I have some hardcore cessationist views on this, but I still think uh, yeah, it's Yeah, demons or even saints. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Saints. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, so I've, I've, I've got a book. Yeah. I've got a book on uh, the history of the monasteries in the, in the Egyptian desert mm -hmm. and for the monastery that Anthony actually belonged to. The monks that are there now in the 20th and 21st century, they testify that sometimes they see his spirit on the walls yeah. of the monastery through the history of the monastery. Like, you know, the Roman Catholic miracles, like statues crying and yeah. that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's very superstitious in nature. Exactly. One of, one of the reasons, I mean, on a completely anecdotal sort of side of things, but just it's kind of relevant because we're reading the anecdote, um, is that, you know, you look at the, it's interesting, just there's something just for consideration for anyone looking into this stuff. Um, I mean, obviously you see the Witch of Endor maybe in Saul and uh, him summoning, uh, you know, uh, the prophet. Um, but, you know, really not maybe the, the spirit that came upon him 
that David calmed down with the playing of the harp. Um, but, you know, beyond that, you really don't see much demonic stuff until you get to Jesus' ministry and, and of, of course, the apostolic ministry. And, um, and then you, all that you have other than that are the Jewish myths and legends prior and the Roman Catholic, you know, early church myths and legends and superstitions afterwards. And they, they, they just, um, just very much like we've just read, take on a very different tone to what you read about in the actual Bible. They, they just have this different thing going on. You know, they're just not quite, it reminds me a little bit of comparing the tongues in charismatic theology to tongues in the Bible. You know, okay, sure, this, they're both making sounds with their mouths. And okay, yes, it's true that they're both sort of claiming to praise God. And yeah, but there's just something qualitatively different about what's going on there in terms of it being a sign, showing the person to be a verified spokesperson of Christ or, or Christ himself. Um, and so, you know, th- th- you've got to keep that in mind as you, as you read through this stuff, because, um, you know, I think whatever your theological position on it, you just have to be careful. There's just not, it's just a, it's just one of those facts, those realities that we just don't have stuff like we see in Jesus's ministry. It's, it was a singular event in history and we've just got to, it's crazy not to factor that in. It's kind of like, it's like saying the resurrection was, or the, or the, or Pentecost maybe is a good example. Like Pentecost needs to happen every Sunday. You know, Pentecost was unique. It was important. It said something, uh, you know, we have to just make sure we understand that. Uh, likewise, with Satan being conquered by Christ, um, and and the purpose of the demonic to to uh, derail his ministry and associate him to evil. You know, I often think of, um, and I actually had a chat about this with someone recently. But you know, it's it's crazy. You know, the the demoniac in the in the uh, tomb, and he's cutting himself. And I mean, if ever you had a beautiful sort of setting for a for a horror genre, uh, there it would be, right? You have the werewolf himself, you know, just howling at the moon, cutting himself. And uh, anyways, they kick out the demons. The demons go into the pigs. The pigs, I mean, talk about a dramatic scene. The pigs go and, you know, commit mass suicide. And, um, and then, I mean, of all the things that the people are freaked out about, I mean, think about if me or uh, you or I sort of saw that and, um, uh, you know, with all of our clockwork orange stuff going on in our mind we're going oh my goodness this is freaky this is exorcism of emily rose this is terrifying but they're freaked out because wait for it now as jews they won't be able to farm pigs in a gentile area they'll be exposed and the economy's busted so they don't want jesus to enter in to the to the the decapolis i mean i'm just like You've got to just at least let that sink in a little bit, that maybe they're approaching this thing in a totally different way. And there's something else going on. It's not less, it's not less satanic. It's not less horrific. But it's, it's just not Hollywood, you know? And it's not Roman Catholic superstition. And it's not charismatic theology. And there's something about that that I think needs to be said to elevate what actually happened. Because I think if you start thinking that tongues today are tongues then the leg lengthening and gold dust today is the miracles that Jesus did. You're going to start corroding your view of the actual events rather than see them as the mammoth events that they were. So to equate this sort of thing with what Jesus was doing or even modern day sort of horror stories with what Jesus was doing, it's just, it's to, it's really to cheapen all of that and, and to fail to see it, you know, in terms of what it actually was, it was profound. Um, 
so yeah, yeah that's my little rant on this stuff yeah, sure. you know you know yeah you with me thought you oh, barely... yeah, i'm still with you all right thought you're you. just giving me that very <laughs> intense look of reflection again and i'm just uh <laughs> just worried all right cool um so we're at uh chapter 30 you want to go chapter for 30 yeah cool i'll read it cool so then we ought to fear god only and despise the demons and be in no fear of them but the more that they do these things the more let us intensify our discipline against them for a good life and faith in god is a great weapon at any rate, they fear the fasting, the sleeplessness, the prayers, the meekness, the quietness, the contempt of money and vainglory, the humility, the love of the poor, the arms, the freedom from anger of the ascetics, and chief of all, their piety towards Christ. Wherefore, do they all things that they may not have any that trample on them, knowing the grace given to the faithful against them by the Savior when he says, Behold, I have given to you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and upon all the power of the enemy. Mm, okay. There we go. What do you think about that one? Yeah, I mean, it's. I appreciate the fact that God is bigger than the devil. You know, they they do Amen. over amplify the devil's activity, but at least they have a God who's bigger than that. For sure. In some contexts, sure. you have a big devil and a small God, and you know, someone you know, they they hate the fastings, they hate the humility. It's almost like the devil can't stand to be in the presence of someone who's fasting or someone who's. You know, like uh, if you start singing, they have to run away because their ears are burning or something like that. Right, um, right. There is right. a little bit of that yes. underneath all of this. Yes, yeah. I think so. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, in that sense, you've started, you know, I've, I've recently, uh, uh, looks kind of like this one, if you can see the camera. Um, I've recently purchased a uh, some cross of ben uh, a cross of St. Benedict, um, which was the, ex the exorcism ring itself. You know, did you hear that? No, <laughs> that was so classic, bro. As as I said, like the the cross of Saint Benedict, it said the cross of Saint Benedict. <laughs> I'm like, you could not ask for better sound effects for this podcast. But uh, anyway, so it it was the exorcism ring that they used, right? And it said, uh, I mean, it's, it's awesome. I got it because it's got all the Latin on it. And it says, like, uh, let the cross be my light. Let Satan never be my overlord. All that sort of stuff. And, um, and you know, but and so the whole thing is, like, you can't kick a demon out without this cross, basically. And, um, and so it's just complete. But, you know, they get it from this sort of thing. They're basically, like, if you start reading, yeah. <laughs> if you start singing, if you start doing this incantation, this dance, this thing, this whatever, this uh, yeah. smoke and whistle, uh, you well, know, he said he said you drive them away with the yeah sign, sign of, the cross. of the cross exactly. So yeah. and and that's basically the, the the very concept that led led to all the nonsense. You know, just on this point, seeing we are talking about it, uh, Jim Renihan today actually, um, I had requested that he looked in his Puritan databases um, a while back, and uh, he yeah, there's this book that you can't find on um, on the internet, um, but he found it for me. It what? is yeah, it is called. Um, the Dialogical Discourses of Spirits and Devils by Deacon and Walker, John Deacon and John Walker, two uh, Anglican Puritans that were writing against uh, John Darrell, who was a Puritan uh, exorcist. And um, I, I've just been interested in that because as far as I can tell, it's the most awesome exposition, I mean, from um, uh, against Darrell, because uh, Darrell was, was a cessationist, but he really played home on this... Um, possession exorcism thing you know it sort of tied in with the with the witch hunts and whatnot at the time and um and uh he eventually got 
got shown as a fraud, did real harm to the cause of Christ at that point. Um, But but what was interesting is just how the thing played into the Puritan Anglican debate, and um, this this um, these guys, this book is this treatise Puritan style on how it's impossible under a rubric of cessationism for there to be exorcisms and uh, and um, and possessions and dispossessions, they call them. Uh, wow. You know, they could be in some sense some sort of dispossession, and they use Aquinas' whole thing, how many angels on a pinhead, all of that. So it's a really rich sort of treatise looking at this whole thing from a theological perspective. But it's been hard to get. I don't know why it's just not been on the internet at all. I would I would have I would have thought it would made it uh, would have made it to some sort of archive, but it's the just devil didn't want it on the internet. There That's we why. go. But it's uh, I was interested in it because I was telling someone about you know my views and and um, and. I, I knew that they were sort of sparsely represented uh, yeah. throughout church history, and and years years now ago, you have at least one other person that believes in two, you. That's two, right. two others. It was co-authored. <laughs> <laughs> so there is there is the co-authoring. Let's not forget that. Um, but yeah, no, it's a it's exactly. I mean, like it's it's not been the majority report as. Uh, as we would say, you know, without a doubt, it, and for some strange reason, that's the case. I don't know. I don't understand why I'm still trying to get to the bottom of it. But I think more and more, I'm seeing its necessity. And um, I think what we do, I think what we do with this, is we go. Our, our cessationism goes something like this: We go. We don't believe in miracles because, or at least, you know, the gift of miracles because that confirmed prophecy and whatnot. But yet we know that God would do miracles. Okay, so it goes something, <laughs> you know, that's the rubric. And then you go, well, we don't believe in prophecy. And yet we know that extraordinary providence happens. You know, some some amazing events take place where someone seems to know the future, that sort of thing. Um, I think in the same way we start going, well, we don't believe that demons happen, you know, or at least um, are kicked out quite the same way. But we do believe that there is some sense in which it could happen. And that little category right there, the some sense in which it could happen, is being exploited by the charismatic movement. And if you've seen, um, yeah. um, who's the guy again? Sam Storms, the most, I would say, one of the more, more respected charismatic authors. He's just come out with a book that tells you how to kick demons out of a Christian because they can dwell in your soul, not your spirit. And and you and giving you the steps. I mean, it's Derek Prince reincarnate. It's really, yeah, it's um, it's terrible. disappointing. It really is, and it's relevant in my neck of the woods because Matt Chandler's kind of endorsed this thing and gone, yeah, this is what I've been waiting for. This is amazing. I'm going, dude. Been there, done that. It's nonsense. Trust me. Kick yeah. demons out of my wife. It's absolute, absolute nonsense. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I I defy anyone on that point to to try and come back to me. But uh, yeah. Anyways, bottom line. Um, you know, this is one thing at least we can draw from this along with um, yeah. what we've said before. Um, I mean, when you look in the New Testament, how, does, how, do the, how do the epistles equip you to deal with spiritual warfare? Exactly. It talks about the gospel being the armor that we wear, yes. resisting sin, resisting temptation, Beautiful. You know, discerning false, false teaching. Um, now, I want to I just, while we're talking, if someone's listening to this and is interested and is freaked out by this stuff, for whatever reason, I want to I want to ask you to think something, uh, think about something seriously. Uh, exactly what Nick just said. Consider for a second that if this whole kicking out demons thing was was even half as important as what it's made out to be, 
in charismatic circles today and even Roman Catholic circles, that you have to abandon Soda Scriptura. You cannot say to yourself after that that the Bible is sufficient for life and godliness because it just not has it just has not given you the the the, the material that you need to to be able to deal with that. What what it what it has given you though is something that almost completely ignores the reality of of, of uh, kicking out demons or exorcisms or anything like that. It, it is, and that's not to say none of that was real. And that's precisely because that was real. It was real. It was permitted for the purposes of showing Christ. And and now spiritual warfare is restrained through the cross to look a certain way. And, you know, the Bible does give you all the info that you need. And Sola Scriptura, uh, Sola Scriptura is true. And so you need to stick to that. And that that's a help. That means you can switch yeah. your light off and not have to worry about, like, you know, stupid curtains moving and stuff. Uh, instead, worry about that that thing that you're lusting over. Uh, worrying, you know, put your thoughts on things that are actually going to derail you, uh, rather than being, you know, distracted. Which I think, as I thought about it, like what you know, you think about it, what what a dumb game plan it would be anyway for Satan to like just manifest in various demonic forms all over the place and freak everyone out and make them believers you know it would be a stupid game plan but uh, the more i think about it 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 just does kind of create a massive distraction of fear and added to that uh you know it 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 almost glorifies satan in ways that he wouldn't be able to be glorified if people just stuck to the bible um you know there's just all of that so don't let hollywood guide you on this stuff is what i'm saying you know and don't let yeah. you know don't even let the desert fathers do that there is a little pocket in the reformed church as well you know luther's struggle with the devil yes true. the ink bottle at the devil yeah well whether that's true or not still yeah. needs to be uh determined but, <laughs> but, but luther was crazy luther was a monk and he was crazy <laughs> But Luther was a monk. Yeah. He would have read this book. He would have, he would have he, absorbed some of this theology. He yeah. was a man who, you know, he's, he's, I think it was Carl Truman who said that, you know, he was essentially a medieval theologian. Yeah. yeah. He wasn't, he wasn't a Renaissance thinker. He I was agree. essentially a medieval thinker. Totally. And he would have had a much earlier view of things. Yeah. And uh, so even in some of the reformed tradition, there is a, an overemphasis on Satan. And I love what one of my Bible college lecturers said. He said, you know, the devil doesn't tempt you. He's off somewhere else tempting the important people. <laughs> the world, the yeah. world formers, the culture formers. Yeah, exactly. I, I believe it with all my heart. Yeah. 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 You know, and, but we tend to like, well, the devil was in my life today. And yeah. we think that it's, it's, it's him against me. And it's just one-on-one all the time. Uh, yeah, and, uh, exactly. That's, exactly. That's like, who who do you think you are? Yeah. 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 Just get a get a reality <laughs> check, number one. But you know, even in terms of of devils, you know, I really and one thing I loved about this uh, this discourse, this Puritan thing that he he takes on, is just the impossibility of a demon actually affecting your thoughts. I love it. Like a big a big. You know, if you actually get down to it, we talk like that all the time. The devil made me think it. The devil made me do it. No, the TV made you think it. Your brain that absorbed the TV or the thing that you read or the thought that you thought and obsessed over, which Satan might have had everything to do with and his 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 minions in setting up in terms of just a general world system. But yeah, he didn't make you think it. So don't even have to worry about that. That's not even a thing. And it, it, in terms of what happened with the pigs and what happened with the, the demoniac and the tombstone, what's happening there is a miracle 
uh, it's ha- there's something that's that's really it can't happen unless it's like the sun standing still. That's what it is. It's something to attest something that you know the demons can't just do whenever they want to do. This is something that was permitted uh, for the purposes of you know doing something very specific in Christ's ministry. So I you know again, admittedly, it's not the popular view right now. <laughs> but, but it certainly is mine. So there, there you have it. Yeah. It, well, uh, there's more advice from Anthony in uh, chapter 35. Uh, this is my chapter, is it? I think it is. Just go for it. Let's do yeah, it. Let's go for it. All right. So this is now on false prophecy from the demonic. When therefore they come by night to you and wish to tell you the future or say, we are the angels, give no heed for they lie. Yea, even if they praise your discipline and call you blessed, hear them not and have no dealings with them. But rather, sign yourselves and your houses and pray, and you shall see them vanish. For they are cowards and greatly fear the sign of the Lord's cross, since of a truth in it the Savior stripped them and made an example of them. But if they shamelessly stand their ground, capering and changing their forms of appearance, fear them not, nor shrink, nor heed them as though they were good spirits. For the presence either of the good or evil by help of God can easily be distinguished. The vision of the holy ones is not fraught with distraction. They will not strive nor cry, nor shall anyone hear their voice. But it comes so quietly and gently that immediately joy, gladness, and courage arise in the soul. For the Lord who is our joy is with them and the power of God the Father. And the thoughts of the soul remain unruffled and undisturbed so that it, enlightened as as it were with rays, beholds by itself those who appear. For the love of what is divine and of the things to come possess it, and willingly it would be wholly joined with them, if it could depart along with them. But if, being men, some fear the vision of the good, those who appear immediately take fear away, as Gabriel did in the case of Zacharias, (laughs) and as the angel did, who appeared to the woman at the holy sepulchre, and as he did, who said to the shepherds in the gospel, Fear not, for their fear arose not from timidity, but from the recognition of the presence of, of superior beings, such then is the nature of the visions of the holy ones. So here he's moved from the negative to the positive. Mm-hmm. That it's uh, this is this is how you know a good angels in the room, mm-hmm. and uh, what good angels do for you when they appear. They take away your fear. Right. Yeah. Wow. There we go. Feel like uh, we just need to say everything we just said again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, touched by an angel. Is uh, angelology. Yes. Oh, great. Oh, you got chapter 44. This is my favorite one. No, uh, no, 45. You got 44. I want to read something from 45 from the next one. All right. Because well, uh, it's not in our reading, but it's. Well, why don't we, why don't we jump, jump ship to your one uh, and we'll just replace it. Okay. Well, I just wanted to, to highlight a few of the really weird aesthetic. Yeah. I'm not part of the world things. Mm-hmm. Um, so should I just read 45? Do it. Well, I'll read the, I'll, I'll read what I've highlighted. Okay. Up until the end of what I've highlighted. So 45 begins. Antony, however, according to his custom, returned alone to his own cell, increased his discipline and sighed daily as as he thought of mansions in heaven, having his desire fixed on them and pondering over the shortness of man's life. And he used to eat and sleep and go about all other bodily necessities with shame. When he thought of the spiritual faculties of the soul, so often... When about to eat with any other hermits, recollecting the spiritual food, he begged to be excused and departed far off from them, deeming it a matter for shame if he should be seen eating by others. He used, however, when by himself, to 
good to eat through bodily necessity, but often also with the brethren, covered with shame on these occasions, never bathed, and he wouldn't allow his feet to be washed unless he really, he wouldn't get them wet unless he had to. There we go. Well, I think that, that that sort of rests our case, right? I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you've got to take whatever he's saying about the, the one thing together with what he's saying about the other and um, and just see that it's all in that zone of, of complete extremity. So don't, don't take the one and not the other, you know, is what we're saying. And yet, let's come back to our mode of charity in that, you know, yeah. with that in place, you know, and with those, those caveats in place, you know, they're, they're, these guys were hardcore. <laughs> you know what I mean? They they yeah. they went for it, and the mind is a powerful thing. And there was no doubt. I mean, imagine. I, mean, I have no doubt in my mind he didn't eat food for a very long time. And there's no doubt in my yeah. mind that in reality his mind <laughs> played serious tricks with him. And there's no doubt in my mind that there might have been that that sort of basic demonic sort of uh, temptations uh, temptation that that he would have wrestled with, but. But, you know, in terms of the rest, uh, you know, again, we're just putting that in, into its category and, yeah. and reading it. I as suppose if you have to compare, you know, here is a man who's living in light of the reality of eternity and heaven and sin. And you look at our lives and how we're living in light of those realities. Yeah. He's doing it better than us. He is doing it better than us. Exactly. And so, you know, and, you know, when you get to heaven, uh, bottom line is you'll, you would have preferred to be that guy, you know, yeah. you're like, ah, that seems so much more sensible. You know, what was I doing frolicking around in my, in my stupid worldliness, you know? And, um, and so there's something that there's something to be challenged on in that. Um, certainly. All right. Well, we're getting on with this one. Um, so I think there's only really, really one way to play out. And that is. Uh, 